Welcome to The Good Complex. I'm Jeff Jones, and it's good to be back. I've been out of the chair just a little bit. And if you're not familiar, The Good Complex is all about uh, moving the common good forward by uh, featuring stories that uh, where people are doing tremendous good. Uh, today is one of those, an organization and a person as well, uh, who's involved uh, meeting a, a very basic and, and, and prevalent need in, in all of our communities, as well as having some critical conversations with people who may disagree, but who can be civil in a polarized world and say, hey, is it possible to have as our common ground, the common good and push the ball forward? So today uh, is, uh, is a unique opportunity, Greg. Yeah. yeah. So like, like, as you said, Jeff, like sometimes we're, we're having a controversial topic uh, that, that we're talking about. And but other times we, we kind of assume if you're watching this podcast, anyone that's a part of this podcast is wanting to make the world a better place. And so sometimes we just want to highlight a need that that at times goes unnoticed. And in our culture where we are right now in the North Dallas area, it's a pretty uh, affluent culture. And the topic of food insecurity is one um, that I think a lot of us think, yeah, it, it, it's probably a problem, but I don't really see it. I don't know, you know none of the people that I know in our food insecure are like those types of things. And it's a much bigger issue than we um, than a, a lot of us think that it is, especially like when we're when we're filming this right now, we are two years into covid, uh, which was highly disruptive in everybody's life. We're now experiencing inflation and everybody you know, uh, is affected by that. But in all honesty, um, not all of us are affected equally. Um, some people were affected by COVID a lot um, more than others. Uh, when you're when you lose your job, or when um, when the, when that when that income gets cut short, and things and, and there's just not enough means to 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 pay the bills and those types of things, and so the work of the North Texas Food Bank uh, becomes a critical piece uh, in the cult, in, in, at least in our culture, and helping um, fill some of those needs. And so, Jeff, I want you to introduce our guest because the guest that we have today can um, I think open open our eyes and, and give us a much better picture of, of reality right now. In our culture. Yeah, you know, we have the we have the privilege of partnering with you as, mm -hmm. as well. Our local good center and in, in, in not too far from here uh, has a nutritional uh, food store uh, mm -hmm. to provide highly nutritious and uh, healthy food to a community that often uh, just doesn't have access to that kind of food. And you have been incredibly gracious. So thank you for that. In, uh, in helping us meet needs. And we're just one little tiny thing that you guys do. I think 126 million meals or something I read that you guys. Actually, we're just finishing our fiscal year this year. We're gonna, I mean, 126 million is what we did last fiscal year. Our okay. fiscal year ends at the end of June. We'll be releasing 137 million. Oh, oh my goodness. goodness. I wow. just can't even For imagine. our fiscal yeah. year 22. That's and amazing. So, Crazy. Trisha Cunningham, so glad that you could join us. Um, Tell us a little bit. You have an interesting journey. Before we even jump into the North Texas Food Bank, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by how you got your job as, uh, <laughs> as, as running this organization. Tell us a little bit of your story. Well, you know, number one, I'm just going to tell you, um, I feel like everything that has happened in my life up until this point helped train me for this role. Okay. You know, it was one of those things that it wasn't my defined path. I never thought I'm going to be a CEO of a nonprofit. Right. But, you know, I worked for 30 years at Texas Instruments. And in that particular time, I was able to have five different roles in the organization. I started serving on nonprofit boards probably 20 years ago. 
just because I had an interest in nonprofits. I love being able to help use the skills that I was very fortunate to get through my work at TI and be able to apply them back into the mm-hmm. community. And I just love seeing the impact on our community and the things that, that we do every day, mm-hmm. how they would apply back into the nonprofit world. Uh, My last role at TI was Chief Citizenship Officer, and what that means is really looking over our our global stewardship. Are we really making our communities better as a result Mm. of working in those communities? So that could be from environmental, social, governance. I had direct responsibility over our grants and sort of community engagement strategy as well. And whenever I traveled around the globe, you know, you see a lot of needs. Mm -hmm. And if you go into some countries, you can see hunger right in your face. I mean, there are people that are sitting on the sidewalks that are destitute, that are begging for food. But whenever you come here to the U.S., that wasn't the same situation. Didn't mean there weren't hungry people here. What it meant is that hunger was hidden here. And that was especially true before the pandemic. And so this is one of the most basic of needs of any country. It's a great equalizer. If you don't have food, you can't perform well in school, you can't do your job well, uh, and you can't thrive from even from a health standpoint. When I left TI, I made the decision back in January 2016 that after 30 years with the company, that was going to be my 30-year anniversary, that, you know, if I ever was going to do anything Mm -hmm. else, I had sort of been feeling that tug Mm -hmm. of, you know, if you're ever going to do it, you're ever going to do it. I literally had a full night where I didn't sleep. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I really wrestled with this whole notion and, and, you know, prayed and, you know, just really sort of thought through it. And I got up the next morning and told my husband, I said, I need to do something else. Oh, wow. And it was truly one of those things. I had been sort of thinking about it. It was that night that I can remember that it was the pivotal moment. So I went in and talked to my management, said, I'm going to see through 2016. Let's make sure okay. I wanna, I'm going to see through those goals, and we're going to see what, what happens, you know, after that. And so I just really wanted a role that would be in the community, that would be able to lift up, you know, the full community overall. Uh, and never. I want you to introduce us to the North Texas food. Yeah. Bank. But before you do that, just in your story, there's so much there, right? That I would love to do another podcast yeah. on someday, right? <laughs> You've got, uh, for one, a, a large publicly traded company who has a chief citizenship officer yeah. who presumably would say that the real bottom line of business is not just profit, but common good. Mm-hmm. And making our world better, and here's how we're doing that, and we want to make sure we pay attention, and that they would put an executive over. I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. Well, you know, I will say TI was a great role model for other corporations from that standpoint. It's part of their foundation with their founders. They've always cared for the community and always given back, and so I think that's part of that culture mm-hmm. that I think has been embodied and what makes so many employees loyal to mm-hmm. them as an employer. That's amazing. And, yeah. you know, if you think a lot of employers, people don't want to work for someone that's just thinking about the bottom line. People mm-hmm. want to make a difference no matter what job they're in. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think we all felt that we could do that at TI. No matter what our job was, we felt like we could, we could certainly, you know, make sure that we were able to do that. So mm-hmm. I, I feel very fortunate to have been part of a company that helped lay that foundation and make an imprint on my life in that yeah, way. Prepared you to run a large nonprofit, you know, right. because, I mean, which is I pretty remarkable. So much experience yeah, there. Right, That's yeah. what I said. Everything in my life, I feel like has led me up 
to train me for this yeah. job because everything that I learned over those 30 years I'm putting into practice. Yeah. And, and that's the other podcast for another day maybe mm-hmm. also is convergence, you know, where you get to a point in life where well, you can say what you say, that everything in my life has prepared me for what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. And most people never have the privilege of getting there. And yet all of us, I mean, all of us could, should strive for that and hopefully would. And mm-hmm. so, but that's another Mm-hmm. That's another it's podcast. another podcast yeah. for another day. <laughs> another sometimes time. people don't have the courage to jump in. That's when they, true. You know, when they feel yeah, that. Absolutely. Say, you know. anyway. So for you, Convergence, you found that, and you made this dive from Texas Instruments to the North Texas Food Bank. So introduce us to the Food Bank. Just what is the what is the story? Yeah. Uh, what do you guys do? What is your passion? How do you do it? Yeah, I'm going to start from the very beginning because I think one thing I've learned through my time at the Food Bank, which it's been, I hit my five-year anniversary in July. Uh-huh. Congratulations. But uh, many people don't understand what the North Texas Food Bank does. Mm-hmm. We are basically a nonprofit food logistics organization. We bring in a lot of food. We bring it into our warehouse. We have about 400 independent nonprofit organizations in the 13 counties that we serve that have some type of feeding program. For the most part, it's a food pantry, but it could be a congregate feeding program. It could be a feeding, like a mobile site or something, or a school pantry or a school distribution. And so we have 400 of those across the 13 counties. On average, 80% of our food goes out to those 400 partners in the community because we know that they are the trusted Mm-hmm. sort of partner in those communities. That's where people know to go to be able to get food. And then on average, about 80% of the food that those partners receive come through us. Okay. So we're sort of like, if you do think about it like a bank, we're sort of like the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. And then we're able to distribute that out. But we do it in a very strategic way. We know where the needs are in the community. We know by zip code where there are needs and where there's unmet needs. So that way we can try to direct resources to the areas where the needs are not being met as well. So that's high level. Do you guys buy the food or do you receive it? Or like, is it surplus food that you're like, how how does that work? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. All All of those things. I'm going to look, you know, if you look at where most of our food comes from, almost 60%, 59% of it is donated. Uh, And where that comes from could be from food growers, food manufacturers, uh, could be from food drives. You know, we have a lot of people that do food drives for the community. We have a big peanut butter drive that comes up in September every year that so many uh, organizations participate in Mm -hmm. overall. So that's about 59%. About 29% comes from government food. So there are a lot of government food programs. There's one for senior citizens. You may remember the old government cheese program. Mm -hmm, Well, that's fast forward. That's commodity supplemental food program now. So those are senior citizens. And so we get assigned caseloads from the state to be able to take care of the senior citizens in our community that qualify for that program. Any of the government food received has to go through a qualification process based upon income levels overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we rely on that food because so many in our community need access to that food as well. So that's about 29%. Now, this is based upon last year's numbers. What we're looking at this year, a lot of that government food that we had access to was related to some of the pandemic programs. And so we're actually oh. looking at that going down okay. overall. And so last year, our, we our purchase level was the remainder. It was a uh, 12% mm-hmm. is what we purchased last year. But we are looking at doubling the amount of food that we're having to purchase this year. Um, But it's because right now we're serving needs that are even higher than they were during the pandemic. Really? Mm -hmm. In post-pandemic world? Because of inflation. Okay. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. So I I think this is one of those kind of 
for a lot of people, I think a kind of a hidden issue, um, hunger, food insecurity, mm-hmm. uh, especially in a place like North Texas, you alluded mm-hmm. to that earlier, which is a, you know, pretty fairly affluent part of the country and, and part of our world. So talk to us about, I, I, I know when I look at the statistics, it's pretty shocking when I, you know, like with child hunger and things like that in our own communities, talk about the need and the prevalence of it a little bit. So if you look at the 13 counties that we serve, we are one of 200 food banks in the Feeding America network. And so we have a defined service area. Every zip code in the U.S. is covered by a Feeding America food bank. Okay. So we, we span the nation. But if you look at our 13 counties, we have the fifth highest number of people in mm. our 13 counties right here in North Texas that are food insecure, which means that they just regularly don't know if they're going to have the amount of food that they need for their families. We have the fifth highest out of the entire country. Wow. Oh, my goodness. And for wow. children, we have the fourth highest. We have wow. a higher number of children in need. So that's out of 200 food bank yeah. service areas, fifth highest overall number of people, fourth highest number of children. And to me, that's unacceptable. You mm-hmm. talked about yeah. North Texas being affluent and all right. these things that we are. But that's where I get back to this hidden hunger issue. Most of the people that we serve are working. They're the working poor. It Mm -hmm. could be someone that's serving you at a restaurant. It could be someone that's checking you out at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a couple of examples of folks that are are taking advantage of the local goods center. And so we've got a a couple of uh, women that go there. They get food for their families, Claudia and Rosalind. Claudia, um, you know, has a husband and three children at home. She's taking English lessons, but mm-hmm. she goes there and gets access to food and also goes to some of the cooking classes there. And she said if it weren't for that food, you know, their family would have to go without. And then Rosalind, she, her husband works, her son works. He's 20 years old and also going to, to college and then has another older child at home and said it's that food that allows them to offset some of the other expenses so that their their son can go to college. I mean, they have two people working in the household wow. and they still can't wow. make ends yeah. meet. And so that's what we're seeing right now. So during the pandemic, we had about 40% of those that we served had n- never needed charitable food assistance before because we had so many working families that were making it from week to week. Mm-hmm. But studies have shown that the majority of families cannot withstand more than a $400 unexpected impact mm. to their monthly budget without going into crisis mode. We saw that lived out during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Whenever you saw those long lines of cars that were happening, I mean, they couldn't go to their local pantries. It was, wasn't safe to do that. Whenever you saw those long lines, there were so many people that didn't know where to go get help. And so then we were able to connect them back to their local community pantries. That's why you're not seeing the long lines anymore. Mm -hmm. But now you fast forward to where we have been over the last four months. We've served at higher levels than we even did during the pandemic. And that's because if you look at the cost of food in the grocery store right now, it's gone up. Look at the cost of of gasoline and Mm -hmm. transportation. Mm -hmm. Look at the cost of rent. Most families, half of their income is spent on their rent and transportation. So as that has gone up and you start seeing that shift into some of the other areas where they had disposable income, that means there's less to buy food and to buy the things that their family needs just from a basic necessity standpoint. So that doesn't even mean, you know, electricity and all the other things that we know that are are big expenses for families. Mm -hmm. So by coming to a local food pantry, they're able to offset some of those costs because their income isn't going up as high as inflation has in, has increased the past few months. 
And I know that you have initiatives too to improve people's nutrition and health. And, and that's how, you know, you mentioned the local good center that mm-hmm. you guys are so gracious to partner with us as we, as we serve. And, and really the local good center is about helping people get out of poverty, not only dealing with the symptoms of poverty, but one of those hurdles is nutrition and just in and, and the way we, that's the way we backed into it is realizing how many people were um, not only hungry, but unhealthy dealing with diabetes and all kinds of things, you know, all kinds of situations that would kind of keep them in that spiral of poverty. So have, on the nutrition side of things and just in and, and just helping people be healthier, uh, I know that that's something you guys care about. You give a lot of produce. You give all kinds of things. Just mm-hmm. let's talk about nutrition. Just a moment. But. So that 137 million meal access that I prov- talked to you about that doesn't even include the food that we distribute that wasn't nutritious. We get things that are in that are snacks and things that mm-hmm. aren't nutritious, and sure. we distribute that. Last year, about 92 percent of everything that we did distribute. So that's what's inclusive in that 137 million was nutritious. We have a nutrition policy in place. We work with people that provide donations to us on a regular basis and say, you know, we want nutritious food because we know it's just as important Mm -hmm. to not only have food in your body, but to have nutritious food because having the wrong foods can actually make some of those health issues worse. Mm -hmm. And we don't want that. We want to make sure that we can thrive because one of the things you can see, if if you travel with someone and sort of walk along someone who is experiencing food insecurity, number one, you know that hunger is just a symptom of poverty. And you Mm -hmm. talked about that a little bit. But it's very difficult to be in poverty. Mm -hmm. And the things that you have to experience and the hurdles that you have to overcome. So, for example, you know, you're doing English classes and you're helping with cooking classes. You're trying to help with that nutrition so that they can understand the impact on their family overall. We work with hospitals. We're working with some non-traditional organizations because we know that sometimes people that go to hospitals and whenever they're released, if they don't have access to the kind of nutritious food that they need to be able to help them to not only recover but to maintain a healthy lifestyle, they're probably going to be back in the hospital before you know it. So we want to be able to help make sure that those individuals can stay healthy overall. If you look at what's going to break the cycle of poverty, if it's about income, how can you make sure that individuals get access to the education or the workforce Mm -hmm. development programs that they need? So can we walk alongside some of those organizations and try to make sure that they have access to the healthy food that they need? So here in the north part of our service area at UT Dallas, you know, people think, okay, UT Dallas, there is a very, very high level of individual that might go to UT Dallas. But they found out during the pandemic that they had a high food insecurity for college students Mm -hmm. that are there. Many of them didn't have meal programs and they Mm -hmm. were able to afford the tuition or through grants or some things, but they didn't have access to food. Mm -hmm. So that's when we really ramped up a lot of our service to UT Dallas. They started doing some surveys with their students and we were able to help them with their Comet Cupboard those students that access the food pantry increased their academic achievement 40% wow. that semester that they first had access mm-hmm. to the food pantry. The next semester increased it by 55%. Wow. Wow. And so you can see a direct oh, correlation sure. between yeah. not having to worry about food and not having to have that pain in your stomach because you mm-hmm. don't have access to food and academic achievement. And you want 
these students to thrive so that they can break that cycle of poverty. Same thing for workforce development programs. You have people that want to go, and let's say, you know, welding is a great profession, mm -hmm. but you have to be certified to be mm -hmm. a welder. People that are in a low-wage job, they can't afford to give up that low-wage job, wage job and go into a workforce development program and take eight weeks off right. to go do that. But we're working with Dallas College on some workforce development issues where we can come alongside some of their programs and offer food to individuals who might be in those programs as an incentive for them to stay in those programs and get their certification as well. So if we can help individuals get a livable wage, mm -hmm. then mm -hmm. we can help break that cycle. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So you guys are focused both on the symptoms of poverty as well as the root causes of poverty. Yeah. And, our, yeah, yeah. We're going to focus on our core competency of yeah. food, yeah. but how can we take that core competency of food and move it into areas that are really addressing those barriers mm -hmm. right. uh, for food security? So we call it, we our strategic plan is called Nourish North Texas. I mean, that's really, it's our goal to make sure that no one in North Texas goes hungry. Now, they may still be uh, in need of food, mm -hmm. but we want to make sure that we can supply the food that's needed for our community. We have what we call food for today, and that's really trying to address all the food needs, working through our partner agencies and pantries, uh, but also trying to even get smarter about how we do that and how we deliver that food. But then we also then have this part called hope for tomorrow, and that's where a lot of these partnerships that are really trying to address the reasons why someone is hungry come mm -hmm. into play is, is really with those hope for tomorrow initiatives. Wow. So you guys are ex at your 40th anniversary? It is time. our 40th birthday. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And so as you look into the future, into the next 10 years, I mean, this this is an issue that's, that's, that's going to be there, mm -hmm. but we can continue to get smarter and we continue to, just as you said, make, make sure the resources are out there. What, what do you see next for North Texas Food Bank or, or, or strategic initiatives or, you know, I'm not sure what your answer is going to be. It might be nothing. So I just, I'm just throwing it out there. What we would love to see is for food insecurity in our community to go down. Yeah. And that's because we have more families that are thriving and they're able to be able to to move forward. And as you, you know, I talked about Rosalind and she has a son in college. Mm -hmm. We want more Rosalinds out there who can help equip their next generation to go and make sure that they don't have to suffer some of the same things that that previous generation had to do that. I think that's what we all want for our families and our children is to equip them to be able to thrive in whatever it is that they want to be able to do and, mm -hmm. and remove barriers for them to be able to do that. So number one, we hope that food insecurity goes down. And so by not only providing access to food, but also trying to partner uh, and collaborate with other nonprofits in the community that can help us address those barriers to food insecurity, we're hoping that's a way that we can bring things together. There are so many nonprofits in our community that already work on those mm -hmm. uh, issues right. that are barriers. We don't have to create them. Yep. All we have to do is help connect the dots. And so the more we can connect the dots, the better off we can be. Number two, I, I see a huge role for technology in the mm. things that we're mm -hmm. doing. You know, obviously I'm a bit biased from my background <laughs> with TI and I do have a computer science degree with a business background as well too. But, Perfect. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, I think technology is going to be uh, a really a game changer for mm -hmm. how we serve. Mm -hmm. uh, we're rolling out some programs right now very early, so we don't have data. But, you know, we've been doing a lot more with business intelligence and how we can really try to understand what needs are. With this new program that we're wor working with with some of our food pantries, where it's called a Service Insights Platform. It's from Feeding America. But if we can start gathering consistent data 
on what our neighbors in need actually are, what they're getting at the pantries, what their needs are, Mm -hmm. how we can better serve them, then we're also going to be able to better equip them uh, going forward. So the more we know, the better we can be. Right now, we don't know as much as we need to know. And I think Mm -hmm. technology is going to be a way for us to be able to do that. There's other programs that we're piloting. We're doing a pilot right now with DoorDash. So there are some senior citizens in our community that are not able to Mm -hmm. go out. And so we're working with some of our partner agencies where they can go and DoorDash can pick up these senior citizens boxes from the partner and they can deliver it to their door. And so that's another way that we utilize technology is to be able to do door to door. We had not been able to do that Mm -hmm. really before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think the smarter we get, the better we get. We're working with a lot of the retail partners, a lot of the learnings that they're having. Oh, my goodness. During the pandemic with, you know, the whole growth pickup and all the things yeah. that they're doing. There's so much that we can learn and that we can do to be better to serve our community. But the number one goal is we don't want anyone to go hungry. And number two, we hope that those hunger needs go down. I don't think we'll ever be out of a job at right. the food bank right. because I think there's always going to be cycles when people have needs and we want to be able to serve those needs. But collectively, if we could help drive that number down, that would be yeah. our goal. Well, you guys do an amazing job. We've uh, been recipient. We've sent a lot of volunteers over there as well who always have a good experience. It's always well organized, well done. And so thank you. We have um, a great team. I'm just going <laughs> to put a plug in for them. You you really do. And, you know, I think for a lot of listeners, um, there's, it, it's, I think it's a, I know it's a surprise to me. I think I saw one stat. It's like one out of every five children in our area are food insecure. Um, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I knew the need was big. I didn't realize it was that big. Um, so th- there's two groups, right? One is, hey, I, I, it, like you said, this is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. It's our neighborhood. We're going to, we want to help meet that need. And so I want to talk about what that looks like. But also, um, I'm sure some listeners might be in the category where they could be really helped by the North Texas Food Bank and all the partners. And I know there's a a stigma that's attached to hunger and to raising your hand and saying, I I think I need help. Mm -hmm. So let's go there first. What would you say to someone who is thinking, you know, I'm really having trouble making ends meet. I'm a single mom or we're even to do income family, but there's just so much. What would you say just to help get over that stigma, if that makes sense? Absolutely. So number one, one thing I will tell you is that all of the partners in our network, they there's never any shaming mm-hmm. or anything that happens at those food pantries. They have a heart to serve. And if there's a need, they're there to serve the need. That's why they're there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So everyone that goes and gets help there, you know, everybody needs some help sometimes. Mm-hmm. And also you think about what's happened during the past few years and sort of the awareness of mental health issues. Think about the mental health issues that are caused by food insecurity, Mm -hmm. by just not having enough resources to know if you can feed your family or not. I mean, that's a huge weight. So what we're going to say is relieve some of that stress. Go to the community partner agency. You can find on our website at ntfb.org. There's a tab that says find food. You can plug in your zip code there and you can see what resources are available in your community. When you go to that community and you go to that particular location, many of them also provide additional services. So if you need help from a workforce development or Mm -hmm. job training or whatever it might be, they may be able to help you depending on the organization. We're trying to connect more of those services to our partner Mm -hmm. agencies. 
but it's we know people go because they're hungry, but they know that's not why yeah. they need food. Mm-hmm. So why do they need food? How are we able mm-hmm. to help them to get access to the resources that they need? But number one, just find your local community partner. There's no stigma mm-hmm. there. Just remember, everyone else is there because they have a need too. Yep. And the people that are there are there to serve. It's not uh, going in and feeling like, oh, well, I'm having to fill this out. And why do you need this? Mm-hmm. And looking at you cross-eyed, that's not there. <laughs> yeah. If you look at the heart of all those people that are in our community, these are nonprofit organizations. They don't have to be in existence. Mm -hmm. The reason why they are in existence is because they have a mission to want to help someone. Mm -hmm. And for those who would say, man, I I would love to be part of coming alongside this need and if not eradicating hunger in our community, at least significantly making it less, what how, how could people come alongside the North Texas Food Bank and and be helpful? Well, we always say that there's four ways to help. Donate food, Obviously, that's one thing. We have a great peanut butter drive that comes up Mm -hmm. in September. But even beyond that, if you go on our website, the ntfb.org website, we have a place where you can go and see what are the kinds of items that we need on a regular basis. You can donate food. We have virtual food drives. So if you have um, an organization and you want to have a little competition between your organization, they can virtually go online and make contributions that might be the equivalent of a case of green beans or something. Mm -hmm. And you you can do that. And you can even sort of... Like I said, friendly competition I love. I, yeah. I love, you know, yeah. to be able to do that. <laughs> so you can do that. I mean, funds is great. Just know that for that 95% of all of our resources goes directly to our mission of feeding programs. So we try yeah. to be very effective yeah. with the dollars and good mm-hmm. stewards of the dollars that we have. Every dollar that is given to us, we can provide three meals with that. Because wow. of your buying power. Yeah. Buying power and the amount of donated food that we can bring mm-hmm. in as well, yeah. too. That helps bring down the total cost, so that covers our operations cost. So donate food, donate funds, donate your time. Yeah. Uh, we have options, I know, even probably with your local good center, there are probably need for mm-hmm. volunteers there yeah. to be Absolutely. able to help. Yeah. Uh, we love for people to get engaged with their local community, but we mm-hmm. also have opportunities at our at our distribution center in Plano where we pack up and kit and sort produce mm-hmm. and and sort frozen product and all that, getting it ready to be able to go out to all these 400 partners in the community. And then sometimes we have mobile distributions. More of our mobile distributions are, are community supported now, but there still are some that can be uh, we need volunteers for as well. But you just have to look on our website on the volunteer site and yep. see. And then final is advocacy. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's very unique about what we do, and I know you talk about some controversial issues, but I can tell you we get support from both sides of the aisle. Mm-hmm. No one. Yeah wants people in their community to go hungry. And so I think this is the one thing that we can say should be an absolutely nonpartisan issue. How do we make sure that we get food to people so it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you sit on or Mm -hmm. if you're in between Mm -hmm. or whatever, reach out to your legislators and let them know that we need additional support to support food programs for those that are hungry in our communities. Because as we're serving at these high levels right now, peak levels, I would say, Uh, a lot of the food support that we received during the pandemic has gone away. Yeah. Well, Tricia, thank you so much for pouring your life into the Texas Food Bank, into this community, being a model, I think, for a whole lot of communities around the country and uh, and for what you do. Just it's amazing. So thank you. And thank you guys for doing it so well. And and again, you've just heard for those who would love to be a part of it. I hope you will dive in. As I said a few minutes ago, we've sent a lot of volunteers over there. And, uh, and we've always had an, an amazing experience and it's just really well done. And, and so thank you. And, 
And I hope uh, for all of us uh, listening today that this week, uh, whether you're inspired by this and, and food insecurity and those needs or some other need, that you will find a way to make it good. Thank you so much for listening.